Welcome to the Tim Fowler Show, where production is paramount, and we discuss the tools, time, and people associated with getting jobs done and making a profit. On today's episode of the Tim Fowler Show, we will be discussing calculating capacity with the help of special guest, Chris Peterson of Schlegel Design Remodel in Kansas City, Missouri. Alongside Tim Fowler, I am your co-host, Greg Wallach. Here is the Tim Fowler Show. Hey everyone, Tim Fowler here, and welcome to another episode of the Tim Fowler Show. As I've always done for the last five years or so, invite you to send in ideas. I love to hear from people. If you just like the show, send me an email. If you don't like the show, send the email to somebody else uh, because I don't really want to li- I don't really want bad news. So I do want to emphasize though today that we are doing sort of a series. It isn't really calculated, but it's a a, a series on the capacity of production to uh, handle the jobs that you have. And I just want to, anybody out there that is uh, doing this in a way that works for their company, they have uh, figured it out. I would love to hear from you and maybe have you on the show. Maybe not. Doesn't, it's up to you. But this is kind of a, uh, I don't know, a passion of mine right now to try to work out what is capacity within a company? And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. So along with this, the first part of this series, if you will, was a few episodes back with Chris Fox of Fox Home Innovation. And the topic was capacity beyond demand. And we talked about all kinds of different things, but the main thing was giving people the right amount of work, but not overtaxing them, not not making it such a burden that they had no time to even think about what they were doing. And I think as we talked, we realized that I'm doing air quotes here, everybody, the right amount of work was really hard to define. It's very, very difficult to get a good definition on it. Now, the industry's tried over the years to do this with dollar volumes. The question was, how much volume can a project manager do in a year? And everybody wants to quote a number, but it falls apart when one company is doing $750,000 projects and another company is doing $100,000 projects. They're just not the same when you look at them. The numbers of jobs running concurrently, like how many jobs can a lead carpenter handle at one time, that falls apart for the same reasons, because dollar volume size of projects really changes that. And then, of course, there's just the difference in people, whether it's a lead carpenter or a project manager. Some are able to handle more of the details, the capacity and, dare I say, the stress (laughs) better than other people can. And then, of course, we have this challenge, which we've been dealing with a lot lately on the podcast, of does the sales team get you good information? Obviously, the better the information is, the more jobs somebody can handle. And so there's always variety of that within a company. So the solution's probably in your computer, okay? And uh, I'm just gonna tell you, you gotta drag it out. Now it's gonna take a lot of work. 
uh, and it's going to take a lot of effort. But in the long run, it's really going to be worthwhile. And what I've seen with companies that have done this, that given the hard work, the payoff is extremely beneficial. Better morale, better planning for future hires, long-term commitment from employees because we're not burning them out. And guess what everybody gets when we get all those? Just better peace of mind. And so uh, there's probably other companies out there that are doing this. Uh, I know of one particular, and we have uh, one of the owners for that company on today to share what they're doing. And like I said earlier, if you're doing something like this, maybe a little bit different take, I would love to hear from you so we can get a number of different points of view on here and really push this out into the industry. So, Greg, let's welcome our guest. Thanks, Tim. Chris Peterson holds a litany of professional credentials and is a co-owner of Schlegel Design Remodel. The award-winning Kansas City-based design-build firm focuses on creating the ultimate client experience during every project. Chris started his career as a craftsman and continued to climb the ranks with his attention to detail, his management skills, and his love of the industry. Chris participates in Remodeler's Advantage and is persistently advocates for industry growth. Chris's greatest passion, however, is barbecue. <laughs> he actively competes in Kansas City competitions and has brought several awards home. He also loves to spend time with his wife and two daughters, as well as his 16-month-old granddaughter. Welcome, Chris. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. Tim, Greg, it's great to see you both. Yeah, so we were just, you know, yakking before we got on the air, so to speak. I think this is Chris's fourth time on the show with us. I think he holds the record for repeat guests. But just in case anybody missed you before, Chris, give us a little more information about Schlegel and how the company there operates. Sure, sure. Well, I thought maybe my fourth time was going to be like your retirement podcast or something, <laughs> you know, the special out the door kind of deal there. But Well, we can still work that out too, you know. Right, there we go. There we go. Um, so yeah, we're, a, we're a $15 million company, um, second generation um, a true residential design build firm. Um, the 15 million is in, you know, blended between design build and handyman, uh, as well as our in-house design department. Uh, last year we did, uh, almost 11 million in design build and 4 million in handyman, um, with a couple hundred thousand in the design department. So, um, Charlie, so second generation, Charlie and I bought the business from Jake in about six years ago in 2018, um, and currently we're, our team is somewhere between 65 and 70 people between, you know, again, admin, production staff, sales and design. Um, and we run a, a kind of a, a hybrid production system, both lead carpenters um, and project managers, which I know you're not a fan of, but it works for us. It's a little top heavy, but it works for us. You know, uh, actually, Chris, I'm a big fan of it as companies get bigger and bigger. They just don't have the capacity with straight lead carpenter or straight project management. It's sort of a trend uh, in the industry. So we're going to focus on capacity here. And you and I have had conversations about this several years ago, as well as just recently. But if you would start back at the beginning and kind of give us the thought process that you guys had that said, we need to, we need to focus on this. We need to measure this. And, and how did that all get started? Sure, sure. Well, it's I, I, it's it's sort of twofold, really, and I this didn't even hit me until you started talking there. But part of it is is around our our, our VPW, our volume per week, which 
That's not really capacity, but that is a very standard metric that we found in the last five, six, seven years of how long it should take to produce the project. So you go, well, how does that tie into capacity? Well, I think some folks are out there chasing capacity and their team is, you mentioned earlier, stressed out. Well, how much of that stress starts because they're expected to produce a project in such a short amount of time that it isn't realistic to begin with? So now I'm already under stress. Now the current job is running over schedule. You want me to start my next project? And, and it's just that, that, that inherent stress is there. So we started um, by, by trying to see how long a, a phase should take. It started with cabinets. One of my lead carpenters 12 years ago said, you know, I said, you're, you're over on hours uh, for cabinet installation. He's like, how long should it have taken? I'm like, that's a great question. Let's, let's ask the designer. They're the one that sold it. So uh, he was, a, you know, we talk a lot about the disc profile. This, this person was a high C, so he was about the details. Um, I'm not. Um, always about the details. I'm about people. So I wave my hands and talk fast. But anyway, we sat down and figured out how long it should take to install kitchen cabinets, you know, how many feet per hour, how many hour per hours per feet, that kind of thing. And realized that that was a great benchmark and kind of went, why don't we have this for the overall job project and not just a phase code? So we started by looking again, this is probably in 2016, somewhere in there, we looked at the previous year's revenue and the, the job schedules. And really just, if it's a $100,000 job and it took, you know, five weeks to produce, that's $20,000 a week in revenue. I mean, we just sort of started with what were we producing, whether that's right or wrong, that was our, that was sort of our benchmark. So we started there um, and sort of broke it down and we started with, you know, $100,000 increments. So zero to $100,000 was this, you know, took this long to produce one to two, two to three on and on. And pretty quickly realized that there were a lot of anomalies in the under $100,000 category. And um, so we played with it and, and monitored it, looked at it. And, and the, the current model is basically, you know, I won't get into the whole thing, but under $25,000, we're about $7,500 a week, 25 to 50, it jumps up about $8,500. And, and it's $25,000 increments of volume up to the $200,000 mark. And it starts at again, about $7,500 a week. And then up at the $200,000 mark, it's closer to $15,000 a week that we're producing. So again, you just, as soon as the sales team comes and says, I got a job and it's X amount of dollars, divide it by the, the volume per week. And there's the amount of weeks that that, that that job will take. Now, are there some, you know, outliers? Are there some other pieces to it? Yes. But really, we just... We just sort of look at the averages. If there's if there's a really high and a really low, we'll kick those out because it skews the numbers too much because we are looking for these, these averages. Um, and really the place, you know, we don't break it down by kitchen and bathroom and room addition and all these different facets. It is more just about the volume. Um, and, you know, again, up in that, and, and we don't have as much data on that $1 million and up. Um, I think we should be producing twice what we are there, but we're calling it about $29,000 a week. Um, and you sort of get on the larger projects, there's more trades. There's, you know, we're working on three stories in a home. So there's, there could be 20 tradespeople in there. Whereas a, a you know, a $20,000 project is probably a powder bath that our whole, it, the, the work is all being done by our, our team in-house. So there's just not as many bodies in there. You're not producing as much volume. Um, so that's, 
at a, at a base, that's sort of what it is. And, and then we've sort of taken it from there. So now we know how long these jobs should take. And there are some, again, um, you know, hand scraped hardwood floors, faux finishes would skew it one way, high dollar appliance packages, you know, Viking Thermidor Sub-Zero, those are high dollar products that don't take a whole lot longer to install. So there's, there are some things that that history tells us um, that we need to sort of change and adapt with this, but big picture, Tim, it's, I mean, it's almost magic. It like it's amazing how well it works, um, and how often we're able to finish on schedule. So, so again, that's sort of where it starts is a realistic schedule, and then we kind of went into capacity after that. So, let me just kind of dig in here a little bit. Um, so, what you're saying is instead of hauling all your, let's say there were 30 people out in the field at that point, bringing them in and putting up a big whiteboard and saying, okay. How long should a $7,000 job take or how long should an $80,000 job take? You actually dug into the data and and then tell me a little bit more. How did you find the anomalies? In other words, what did you notice when you started looking at, you know, the difference between a $100,000 project and a $50,000 project? What what bells went off and how did that rise to the surface because I can see a lot of generalization could have taken place. And um, so I'm kind of wondering how did how did you get keyed into that those differences? Yeah, um, so great point. And, and some of it is just when you see the spreadsheet, you know, like because th- this is all spreadsheet driven, which I'm not. a. I love looking at spreadsheets, but I don't create <laughs> them. Um, so this this information was all brought to me. But as soon as you look at it, you just go, OK, so, you know, maybe there's two jobs that are this that within a five hundred dollars of each other. But one took seven days longer. Well, but but one of them was within this median range of these other 12 jobs. And this one's just way out. Like we just would take the one that's way out and and just just remove it from the, the average, if you will, because the, the couple that we really dug into and you go, well, why is that? What happened there? Usually there was something there was more to it. Right. Like maybe we we said it took three weeks, but really that last week we were only there one day because it was a backordered product. Well, now we've refined that a little more. And, you know, when we do our project presentation, that's the end of that job. Now, if we go back three days, three days more worth of work because of backordered items, but that wasn't until two weeks later, I'm calling that three days on the schedule, not two weeks. So I'm not trying to cheat the system, but I'm trying to be realistic because what I don't want is backordered or delayed time to impact these, these numbers. And I think that's some of what we found early on there. So again, anything that's really high or really low, we just sort of throw out because it skews the numbers too much. And so when you're when you're using, let's talk about how you use this data. Or maybe let's let's before we get to that, let's talk about you mentioned you have project managers and you mentioned you have lead carpenters. And I'm in my intro, I kind of had that, you know, like, hey, some lead carpenters, you know, we'll look at it this way. We'll, we'll ha- be able to handle this amount. Some project managers, like I've heard they got five or six jobs going and other people are going like I got two and that's all I can handle. How do you use this data in combination with the personalities that you have? Yeah, so this is one where I, I wish there were more science or math to it, but some of the some of this now is the is the data and the gut feeling maybe sort of coming together. So um, again, I, I I hate how I'm going to explain this, but some of it is we we sort of push people to find their limits, right? We, people usually, as we work up, up the, you know, the, the corporate ladder, we, we work to our level of ineptitude. We, we, we work ourselves out of a job. We get to a point where we just, we can't do it anymore, whatever that level is. And it's different for all of us. Um, so, so that's part of it. But again, with all these things we have, 
we our managers have pretty good um again gut feel on folks hey this person is just stressed all the time or this person's really laid back and just takes everything in stride so oftentimes it starts with an accident like okay so we have the vpw we we scheduled your next job to start but late in the job we had a forty thousand dollar change order on the project so that extended that timeline we're not going to push out your next start date because we're we've committed that to our client so here's our trial run these two jobs overlap for three weeks we're gonna we're gonna see how you handle this and look, some of our team comes in as like, man, that went really well. I actually feel like I was more productive um, with with having more things to do. And, and sort of it's almost like if your calendar, if, if you look at your calendar in the morning, and it's it's booked full. There's no time for an oops. Like you have to stay on track. If you wake up in the morning, and look, and there's nothing on there like your first thing takes all day. It's just the it's just the, the kind of human nature. Um, so. So that's that sort of started it. And then again, you go like, OK, this person handled that really well. So let's see if they can. You know, we, we did these bonus green dots last year. Where we just we had to increase productivity. So we just were like you as the as a project manager, you own this job, get it done with your team. Well, they were having to figure it out and they would see their team members that could rise up and kind of what it comes down to is, OK, so we're running a half million dollar job and we're at drywall and then hardwood and then you know, cabinetry. Well, there's four or five weeks maybe of work there that's subbed out. So our, our, our lead carpenter maybe doesn't need to be there all day. So we'd send him to work on another job and okay, that that's great. But like, what if we could send him somewhere and produce more volume? Um, so that's, that again is sort of that next deal. You go, okay, you're doing this eight month long project. We're going to fit in a little four week bathroom or a, you know, a smaller project and see how it goes. And again, some of our folks excel actually, I think, I think their um, efficiency improves. It's really, it's really weird to see. And other folks don't. I mean, you can see some other folks just like that whole four week overlap. They're just down. I mean, they're they're vibe. They can't. They just they just can't handle it. Um, so some of it becomes that again. It's that we we sort of test them and see how they handle it. Um, but way better to test them on these smaller projects as an overlap or a double up than on two you know three hundred thousand dollar you know jobs right out of the shoot. Um, of course, then it's the whole, well, if they're going to do more, they're going to expect more. They want more, right? They want more money. They want more pay. So um, we had to sort of get into that whole avenue of why is this role worth more than the other roles? And obviously to management and ownership, if we can get more volume done without any more overhead, that that's where we got. It's just what we have to be looking for at all times to be more efficient. So I'm just sitting here listening to you. And uh, I think you painted the picture pretty well with in-house staff, but I just, if you would comment a little bit about how it's going to change when you've got strictly project managers and then all subbed out kinds of things. You got any any thoughts about how the uh, VPW might shift around a little bit with that? In, in theory, the VPW doesn't really change whether it's in-house or subcontracted. It, okay. it still is is a volume like a, a tradesperson that does it all day every day might be a little more efficient than we are. Um, but at the end of the day, since they're averages, some of that is, is just sort of baked into the VPW, if that makes sense. Um, so I, I haven't really, of course, now you got my wheels turned. I haven't really, haven't really dug into it from a standpoint of, of the more in-house versus trades, but I haven't seen it um, in the, in the data from the VPW either. You know, we like okay. we're hitting our jobs and, and they're, they're producing at a good GP. So with that data, that that volume per week data, have you gone back and looked at it? Has it has it shifted at all from price point to price point? Yes. So the the current 
which it's funny. I dug into a little bit this morning. I don't look at this. <laughs> this most of the team is running this information now. So I, I did my homework this morning, but there are more breakdowns that that $25,000 sort of layered tiers. That's new from the last time I saw it. Last time I saw it, the under 100 had those extra breakdowns, but then I think it was in 50 or $75,000 increments past that. And so Tony Carver that, that does all this for us, he's, he's seen those. So every, at, the answer, Greg, is in January every year, this is updated. So we, we, because this is done not off of whip jobs, but off of closed jobs. So we wait till they're truly closed and we know 100% accurately where they finished and the, the gross profit and all those things. So um, in January, he takes all of the closed jobs from the year before, updates it. Um, and, and in theory, we should, it should grow every year. We should do more. Some of that is, um, is just inflation, right? A, a sheet of drywall costs more this year than it did last year. It doesn't take us any longer to hang it, but if it's costing more, we should be able to hang it in the same amount of time. So we, our volume, uh, VPW should be increasing every year by what, you know, if the cost of living is 3% or whatever, in, in theory, it should go up by that. I would also say we should be better next year than we are this year. So we should be a little more efficient um, just because we should be better. But that said, this becomes a great metric for management to, to drive within. If I want to make a, a, a pretty quick change to increase our gross profit, what's one way in production we can do that? Shorten the, the, the production cycle, right? If it's a 10-week job and I can cut a week off of that, like that inherently drives up that gross profit. And if I don't change my overhead, it drives up the net profit. So if I look at our numbers across the board, and they're they're low. We need to increase them. Just just increasing that VPW and nothing else should drive that change. Um, I, w we don't do that as much as we might in in future years. Right now, it is a little more reactionary, um, but it gives us control. I will also share that since we've been using this in I think it was twenty seventeen. We've had two to four percent grippage on our gross profit every year since we've been using this. So it's the whole like, does it work? Yeah, it works. Like I, I would challenge anybody to come. Now, are there some holes in it? Yeah, you can pick some holes in it. But again, I go like uh, last year, sixty-two percent of our design build jobs beat gross profit by two percent or more because that's what it takes for our production bonus to pay out. And not to get too far into the numbers, but uh, back in twenty fifteen, the first year we tracked it. It was uh, 48%, I think, uh, 46%. And as soon as we changed the VPW in 2017, it jumped to over 60%, and it's been over 70%. So, like, I feel like I've got data that proves that yeah. it does work. Yeah, so I'm trying. I'm sitting here trying to think of a an example, but um, I'm thinking about your team. And when you first rolled this out, did you get anybody that said, you know, yeah, the, yeah, your computer says it should only take me eight weeks, but this is a 10 week job for sure. And then and how did people kind of rally around the fact that you're now measuring their production instead of like, hey, you know, good job. Uh, maybe we can speed up a little bit or, you know, something like that. How did they react to the measuring part of this? Yeah, well, I think. I think we do a good job of explaining and selling things, maybe uh, maybe setting up clear expectations. So um, generally, by the time I roll out any any new process procedure, anything new, it's we've already done it two or three times. So like 
before we went to the group and said, hey, we're rolling this out, we had already done it on the previous three jobs. So I could kind of go, hey, here's this new thing we're, we're trying. Here are the first three jobs we have. We can it seems to be working. Um, but also when you, when you explain it to them again, like, Hey, you guys, the way we came up with this was it's historical data. So like, we're not, when we first came up, we didn't tighten it. We didn't try to improve on where we were. We literally just started with, with where we were. And we sort of explained to them what this should do is make your stress level even out. Cause, cause the feedback we got before we did this, some people go, man, I finished that job. And like that, that felt like it was easy. That was a breeze. You know, like my, the last three days of that job, I just, I was kind of coasting or then they'd come in and go the next job. Like that was brutal. Like I, I feel like you <laughs> should have had three more weeks for that job. So when we were able right. to say, look, we took the highs and lows out of it. We balanced it out. And, and, and again, I sort of said, do, do a couple of jobs. Let's see how it works. And if it works, we'll keep doing it. If it doesn't, we'll readjust it. We can, we can lower the volume per week. So, um, you know, in true, I don't know, probably production fashion, because this is the way I was, I was like, all right, let's go do it. Right. I'm, I'm still going to go build the job for you. Um, and then what happens is they do one and they, they beat met or exceeded the schedule and it wasn't crazy stressful. So then you, you, you re, you encourage that. Hey, how did that feel? How did that go? Rate the job on a one to 10. How's your, you know, what, what was your stress level? Those kinds of things. And I think a lot of it, as I went back to the whole push them to their breaking point, and I, I don't really mean that, but right. you're again, going to disc. I think this is where like an IS personality comes in. Like this is a, this is as, as much as a lot of it is C about details your really high C isn't reading the room as much as an IRS is to know like this person is stressed. So like whoever's managing these people really needs to have sort of their, their thumb on the pulse to, 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 and again, sometimes it's just, it's the way we carry ourselves. You walk in the office and you just tell so-and-so is grumpy, you know, and some days we have personal stuff at home, whatever it is, but like watch those trends. Um, Cause you can burn people out. But I, interestingly, I think it was just in the last month, I read something that talked about, People can be bored out just as easily as they can be burned out. And at okay. first, I like went back and read that because I'm like, I didn't read that right. But when you when I read through it, it makes total sense. I mean, I I think we have some folks that are probably underperforming because we're not utilizing them to their fullest potential. And I, right. I think that's I know that's how I'm wired. Again, I that that analogy of the calendar when it's empty, like I don't get anything done. And when it's full, like I get. <laughs> more than what's on my list done. So, yeah, so I think yeah. that's something to keep in mind too. I, I think we've had a couple people that were newer to our company. One of them was a referral of yours here in the last month. He did take the job by the way. Um, but he came from a, a much higher capacity role. So we bring him in here and go, you just got to manage one job. I mean, I think this guy's going to get bored and, and want to move <laughs> on. So he's one of the people that, that we've, we've figured out will be one of these running two jobs, you know? Um, okay. So again, I think we've got to keep people sort of, hungry and, and, and grinding and out there chasing it. So how do you use this information for projecting sales? And in other words, um, I mean, I know you have a big sales operation for 15 million, you have to have a big sales operation, but how do you use this to monitor or maybe control sales? So you don't have like 25 jobs dumping on January 18th. You know? right. And yeah. then nothing happening for the next four months and everybody's all stressed and then everybody's bored. And, you know, how do you use all this information for that? 
Sure. Well, okay. So here's how we use it, but, but there's still some of the, some of the ups and downs there, there yeah. just is, but, but way less reacting with the current long-term schedule that we have than the way it was, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. So, so all of these systems sort of tie together, but where you're going is I'm looking at my long-term schedule here in front of me. So again, we have these jobs based upon the VPW. I know when they're going to end. So then we leave a buffer week for, you know, guys to get their and gals, get their mind right again, but just a little trickle in whatever it is, finish one job strong, start the next one strong. Um, and then th that job starts. And again, it goes out per the VPW. Well, at the end of each of these jobs, there's a green dot and that's the next potential start date. Um, okay. So whether it's that we have a double up, so there, you know, this job ends here and there's a start date and then their other job is going out three more months and there's a start date there. So each of the double up um, lead carpenters would have two green dots. And if sales says, hey, we sold the Smith job, it's a $400,000 of this. And I think it'd be a great job for one of these three people. You'd go, well, here are those three green dots. Which which one do you want? Um, but this is stopped back when I first started doing this before we had the, the green dots. It was this, the salespeople came in my dorm. Like I sold it. I would start it in two weeks. And for a while, <laughs> I would just go, okay. And we'd start a job, you know, and it took however long they told me that they sold it, that it would take. And right. then we would get into issues with overlaps. And at one point, Jake just flat out said, we are not overlapping jobs. One lead carpenter finishes a job and then starts the next one. Um, and that was, it was that way for several years, which is where the green dots sort of started from. Um, but then we realized Back then, we were doing a lot more work in-house. We, we have, again, kind of another hybrid model. We're, we're subbing a lot of work out right now, including some of the um, finish work, the carpentry that, that we used to do all of that in-house. Um, so, again, again, instead of sending these folks to work on other jobs, we send them to run another job, and right. instantly our volume goes up. So just to clarify, and, I, and maybe I just want to make sure everybody in podcast land hears this, but basically you as the production manager and now your production manager is the one that says this is when we can start the next job yes not sales no and and yeah I, okay so I, yes i'll help reemphasize this yes to me production owns the start dates in your business and again i didn't for years we didn't until we flat out said no this is how this is going to go now that said though tim to some degree, you need a pretty healthy backlog to be able to put your foot down in production too. Because for years, I went like, "Give me what you got. I'll, I'll yeah. take anything. You know, give us the half baked plans and let, let's get these guys <laughs> off the bench and go build this thing. We'll figure it out." Um, so yeah. So um, let's just talk about the half baked plans because I in, I put that in the introduction. How do you, as a team, ensure that? For the most part, what's coming through to a project manager and a lead carpenter is relatively consistent. I know there's always going to be little differences. And we've spent several podcasts recently talking about how to get this stuff through. But I'm just kind of curious what you guys do uh, just to make sure that that job's really ready to go. If production says we can start, you know, April 25th, how do you know everything's going to be ready on April 25th? Sure. Uh, we hope we cross our fingers and we hope a lot. Um, no, we do have, I think the reality is our, all the design is done in-house. We have a, a, a degreed architect and she has two full-time drafts people. So our plans are generated in-house. So they're consistent. Um, you know, I remember when I was in the field and we had 
outside architect plans and they had one verbiage and our contract had another, another verbiage. And I'm like, what, what light fixtures are we putting in? Cause the, to me, these are both binding documents, but they're, right. they're not in, in cahoots. So everything in our plans is copied and pasted to our contract, which is, you know, copied and pasted from our, you know, our, our trade partners uh, contracts with us. So there's, there's consistency across the board. Our plans are all look the same. So our team knows where to go, you know, for the same information um, there it's, it's just repeatable. It's a, I know you're huge about checklists. It's, it's that kind of thing. Like we all know what, what an ideal package is. And like, we set one aside, we go, this is an ideal package. Let's review it with the sales team. You know, here it is. Here's the checklist. It's got all the POs, all the subcontract agreements, the, the plans, the, the everything. I kind of say that like when the design team does their job right and hands it off to us, it's, it's really just a puzzle that production is putting together. I mean, I, we have to, you know, the, the out of, out of plumb and out of square and all that. But like, we shouldn't be designing, we shouldn't be coming up with things. We should just be putting together the beautiful uh, puzzle that the design has worked through for us. Um, and, and generally that's the way it works. So again, it's clear expectations. Here's what a complete package looks like. But the other thing I think we've sort of embraced is, yes, you need to come to this handoff meeting 100% complete with all these answers. And you go like, okay, you both are smiling. You know that that's not realistic. But like knowing what we don't know is, is so huge. Like if they come to that and go, here's our to be determined list. These are the four things that right now I, I'm not really sure. So you need to keep in mind X, Y, Z. You know, the mantle may change. It, it might be wood. It might be stone whatever. Right. But now we go, cool. These are the four things. And then we can look at our schedule and go, awesome. I get that you don't have that, but I need that answer by March 15th because on April 1st, like we're moving forward with that mantle, whatever it is. So it, it, us being on the same team, I think that's part of it too. Years ago, it felt like sales versus production. So we had the amazing Tim Fowler come in and help us figure out what we were doing wrong. Um, and I think things like that have really centered us as a company and as a whole. And there's way less finger pointing. And there's, you know, we're in this together. We have some year end bonuses that incentivize people, you know, for the same goals. And there's a lot of those things that sort of tie it together. But that's where it starts is, is we've all got to be in this together and on the same page. And if production we have to be comfortable going to sales and going, hey, thank you for your hard work on putting this package together. It looks like it was an intense amount of work, but I, I feel like I'm, I don't have this or I don't have that or, or this. What can I do maybe to help you get that, right? Show them that we're not just there to pick them apart. We want to help them, but we do need this information, or at least we need to know when we're going to get this information. Yeah, so I, I said earlier on that I am making it kind of a mission to uh, get this idea of capacity out there in front of the public and get everybody thinking about it. And um, so we're gonna wind up here, Chris. We've we've taken quite a bit of time to kind of look at all these different things, but just anything that you would just uh, say to the listeners in terms of encouraging them, because this takes effort, energy, time, and all that means money. Right. To, to make this happen, you've cited a couple of statistics in there about like, yeah, you got the money back. Uh, but any encouragement to the listeners, then we'll wrap this up. Yeah. I mean, I think this this whole concept is is can be overwhelming. So like dumb it down, strip it down. I, I, I think starting with like the volume per week or revenue per week, some sort of a, a gauge helps because, again, it's a, it, it gives you a realistic schedule. And I think once you see them and you repeat them, then you 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 remove some of that stress. 
Um, and, and look, the reality is take the last 10 jobs you've done, how long it took you to do them, do the math. There, there's your starting place, you know, like kind of don't overthink it. Now build a schedule based upon that, produce the job, see how it works out, you know? Um, and I, I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but like start somewhere, you know, again, we probably analyzed a hundred jobs because I had somebody on staff that, that had the time to do that. Just, just pick 10 jobs, do the math, start from there and move on. Um, and then, so that's more about the length of time for the job where to me, capacity is not as much how long, but how much, but now if you have that sort of tied down, now you can go, okay, can we overlap some jobs? Can we do some things? I think when you have that information, you can sort of use the information to help you, figure out when you, when you can double up, when you can run more jobs or, and or who can't. The other piece of that is always be assessing your staff. I mean, I think as managers, we always know worst case scenario, if there was a layoff, who that first person is, those kinds of things. But to where I'm going more this stress piece, we've got a couple of really high performers, but I think they perform, and I'm talking like mil, you know million dollar projects. But I think if we put those two of these guys in particular on, on multiple jobs, even if they're a third of the size, I just, the, the way their process works, I think their head would melt. Like going to another house, <laughs> like I don't know what it is, even though a million dollar job is like running four $250,000 jobs. There's something about it being at one address and one homeowner and some of those things. So yeah. uh, know your people and then but start with some sort of revenue or volume per week to, to get those the schedules dialed in. Well, Chris has been fantastic. Thank you very much for uh, helping us get a little bit of a handle on this thing. And as I suggested earlier, I hope some other people will chime in and, and continue this conversation. So thanks so much. Absolutely. Pleasure to do it. A lot to learn today, Tim. Good stuff. Oh, my stuff. goodness. You're talking about your head melting. I've got a yeah. whole page of notes here. And uh, so I'm just going to I'm not even going to wait for you to say, what did you learn, Tim? I'm just going to jump right in. <laughs> I love the point about watching your people. I just wrote down, watch your people pay attention to stress levels and the whole idea i mean what i want everyone to get out of this is the data will tell the story but then chris was really clear to say you know what the data is one thing but you gotta have the gut that says yeah that person's burning out or that person's uh struggling or that person's down or in and i think that's a part of me that i i don't think enough managers really pay attention to is really looking at how people are doing and asking the right questions to find out what's going on. I think I like the concept of bored out and burned out. I think that was yeah. a really neat way to look at it. And yeah. again, um, it's the gut, it's the art and the science of doing this. Yep. Um, and I, you know, I like numbers and I just like the way that Chris has done so much with the numbers and, and, tells a story with the numbers. I think that's, that's uh, probably the yeah, biggest thing I, I took away from this one. I love that part about the sales design team. You know, usually when I'm doing a seminar, I'll say, you look through the, the, the scope of work and you get rid of all those to be determined, you know, because <laughs> why are they even there? But I think Chris's point is really good. And it's something that I have been, you know, sharing with companies is that the, one of the most important things in that handoff from sales to production is all the things that we don't know yet. And where did we, where did we give back some money and where did we, what did we promise that we need to be sure gets taken care of all that kind of stuff. 
typically doesn't go into a handoff meeting. It's sticks and bricks and timeframes and dollars, you know, but those other things are as important to the process as uh, getting the plans right. So the volume per week, and this is the backbone of the whole system that they're using. And I just want to reinforce to everybody, take time to start doing this. And as Chris was talking about, you know, they had somebody that could do this. But I thought immediately, especially for those of you who are in college towns, there's got to be a college student somewhere around that loves <laughs> spreadsheets and can, you know, analyze data. Maybe somebody that's in statistics or something like that, maybe a college project, maybe even a high school student, but somebody so it doesn't take all the all the time from your small staff necessarily. The data is all there. Start mining it so you can start getting this information and make better decisions about capacity for people in your company. And this person must love spreadsheets as much as Tim Fowler. <laughs> I do love them. I just, yes, do. I just don't have all the knowledge of how to create them. I love having them and I love working them, but I don't always know how to write the formulas to make everything work out well. <laughs> Well, once again, we want to thank Chris Peterson of Schlegel Design Remodel for joining us. And thank you all for listening to another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. And remember, at The Tim Fowler Show, we're working hard to eliminate it is what it is from your vocabulary. This has been another episode of The Tim Fowler Show. Would you like to hire Tim or myself to help fast track your growth? Please send me an email, greg at remodelersadvantage.com for more information about our production manager and design manager roundtables, to get more information about consulting for your team, or if you have ideas for the podcast. Please subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much for listening.